Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see each of you here. The weather, the strange weather hasn't scared you away. I don't know what it's going to do. It looks like it's supposed to rain. The weather man said it's supposed to rain. So, and as I was sharing with a friend of mine, like my body tells me it's going to rain because I don't know if you can feel that in your body. Your body is like the weatherman. Like the day before, you start aching. And he said it was the barometric pressure change. So there you go. But yeah, it's supposed to rain, which is a big day. We have a doubleheader softball game that I'm playing in tonight. So I'm kind of iffy on whether or not I want it to rain because I don't know if my body wants to, to go play two games of softball tonight either. But anyway, I hope you're having a good weekend um, and have had a good week so far. I do realize, though, that some here probably have not had the greatest week. And so there's a lot going on in our lives. And so um, maybe there is some highs in your week or maybe this is just a really low week. and Or it could even be that this is just a low season of life. And so I want to pray again. I know Cody just prayed, and I like to pray again as we just kind of um, prepare ourselves to, to look at what God has to say from us in the Bible. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 2 and a story from the Old Testament about a king looking at the issue of power. So let, let's pray together. Lord, we welcome you, and we know you're here. We thank you for being present with us and for guiding our time of worship and, and receiving our praise. And we're, it is really an honor to, to, to come and to sing and to declare truth and to, to reflect and, um, on what is true of you and even what, if, what is true of our world and all that's going on in our world. And God, um, we bring uh, just a variety of challenges, God, into the room today. And Lord, some are here that are hurting and some are really happy. And so God, I just pray that you would meet us where we're at and that you see beyond the exterior that we bring. Lord, we bring a certain appearance and a, and, a, and, a, and a smile or a certain expression. But, Lord, you see through all of that into the issues of our heart. And so, God, I pray that you would um, just speak to us, Lord, um, about just what we need to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we open up your word, that you would bring into focus the things that are a little bit um, maybe cloudy and unclear about this area of power. So we just ask you to guide and protect our time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, we're wrapping up this series today called Playing with Fire, and it's been our goal to help you grasp what God intends for the different areas of our life that are like playing with fire. And the three areas that we've looked at are is money, sex, and then today we'll look at power. Now, all of these areas can be very good in life, but depending on how you handle them, depending on the order and the, the priority you give to these things, will determine um, how you, know, you experience benefit or, or real damage. And we need help in order to, to not get burned from approaching these three areas selfishly. So the first week we looked at how to handle money in the right way. What is God's plan for handling money? And we looked at some steps to overcome being greedy and being selfish. Generally, selfish with, selfishness with our money causes us to just hold and cling to our resources in such a way that we're not willing to really um, loosen and, and be generous, loosen and um, benefit others. And so it's greed can take over. And so we looked at some stories um, in the Bible related to that. Last week we looked at um, the topic of sex, romance, intimacy, and, and, and how it's easy to idolize that whole area and kind of put it up um, as the ultimate thing in life and put all of our hope in a relationship or in a person, only to come up empty. 
And if you weren't here for either of those messages, you can find them on our website and just kind of catch up to what we've been looking at. Today we're going to wrap up by looking at the issue of power. And this is another area that we need to know how to handle with precaution, otherwise we get burned in life. We burn others, we can get really hurt. Um, A few times in my life in trying to light something that is gas-powered, I've turned the gas on before I should have. I turned it on, and I didn't really have the match ready or the lighter ready to light the stove or to light whatever it is I'm lighting. And so I've turned it on. I delayed a little too long to strike the match, and then I eventually would strike the match, and whoosh, you know, you've probably had that experience before. Um, And a ball of fire, you know, like a micro version of, of backdraft, engulfs your your face. And um, I've singed my eyebrows before in trying to light something because I left the gas on too long. And if you're like me, you try to keep all the hair you can. And so it's like you learn to respect fire. And so I've learned to have a deep, deeper respect of fire through the years. haven't always had that. But in a similar way, I've learned to have a deep respect for power and authority and leadership. Uh, because if it's handled selfishly, it can blow things up. It can blow up in our face. And so as I talk about power in this message, what I'm really referring to is your and my ability to influence or move people to do something that you want them to do. That's how we use our power. We try to get people to, to move to do something that we would want them to do or stop doing something that they're doing that we think they shouldn't be doing. And we use our power to do that. In family life, um, you know, husbands, if, if, if you're here, you've been assigned the role to lead your family. Parents, if you're here, you've been assigned a role of leadership over your kids. And the challenge will constantly be, how do I use my power rightly? How do, I, how do I use my power? And the big question is, will I use my power to benefit myself or to bless the people that I'm responsible to lead? Am I going to use this for me or am I going to use this for them? And whenever you're making career decisions, will, will the decisions you make, will they be for the good of the family And the good of God's kingdom, or will these ultimately or really be a decision that is an avenue that leads me to getting what I really want? And I secretly, you know, have an agenda. So again, will our power benefit us or will it bless the people we've been responsible for? That's really the big issue. In church life, we have small group leaders, we have ministry team leaders, we have staff members. And and for leaders in our church, the big question is, you, you know, or as you've been given responsibility to lead, you have to figure out, how do I do this to benefit the people that I'm responsible for? And how do I help us accomplish the mission that God has given? In school, maybe you're the leader of a project, or you, you've got some responsibility. And I, I know when I was in college, get assigned a group project, um, I didn't like to be the leader. I didn't want to be having to like track down everybody's work and try to make sure everyone's on task. Because if you're the leader of the project, then you really have to try to influence people to do their part. Otherwise, everyone's grade suffers, right? Uh, but leadership comes up and power comes up all over the place. Certainly at work, you might be the boss. I know some of you are business owners. Some of you are supervisors and you play a role of management. And you're in leadership. And, and all of your life, maybe you've been responding to requests and under authority, but now you are the authority. And how do you handle that role? That's really kind of the heart of what we're getting at this morning. And what I want to do is I want to look at the best way to use your power to influence people in the right way. If you approach it selfishly, you get things out of order, what happens is you're kind of sparking something that slowly um, destroys 
the group. It destroys the team, destroys the, could destroy the workplace, could destroy the family, but it's a slow death. And so whatever it is we're doing, maybe we're causing a slow, we're causing something to die a very, very slow death, and that's painful. And so, but there is a way to use power to actually draw people's hearts towards the right things. And so that's what I want to look at. I want to start by digging into a story from Daniel chapter 2. And it's from the book um, written after the man who's kind of one of the key figures in this, in this book, Daniel. Um, Daniel is, uh, is a Hebrew man who, along with many others, were taken captivity out of their land. They were taken as captive to another land. And so when the Babylonians came, took them captive, um, Daniel... Um, rises to leadership in Babylon. He rises to leadership and becomes um, a wise man who qualified himself um, to... Well, the reason he becomes a wise man is because he's able to survive off of very little food in comparison to what um, was being fed to many of the other people in the court of the king. And so Daniel, he, he asks to eat a different diet than everyone else. He didn't want to defile himself with the food that others were eating because it would have been defiling for him as a Hebrew. And so he ate water and vegetables, and he ended up thriving more than these other people who were eating the royal food. And so because of that, they placed him among this group of nobility. And um, so Daniel's one of the key figures in this story. Um, But what I really want to focus on is the king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's one of the most powerful leaders of his time. And we find that at this point, the most powerful man on earth, he's not sleeping well. Can you imagine having all the power and not being able to get good sleep? You can have everything you want, all the food, all the people, all the servants, but no sleep. And, and he's having these dreams that are plaguing him. And so he's the ruler of, of, Babylon, of Babylon. Here's a picture of the Babylonian Empire at that time. So look at just this vast empire that he has. Very, very powerful individual. And because of that, he could do whatever he wanted. He had the power. And now this might be where we connect with this king. Sometimes we attain power in life. We become the boss. We become the leader of of whatever. And we start acting like the dictator. We start barking orders. We start using threats. We create fear in people. And... This king, Nebuchadnezzar, he thought he was the man until he had these troubling dreams he didn't know what to do with. And so look at what happens. This is Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. God was actually trying to get his attention to communicate a bottom line truth that he didn't want him to forget. And so he gives him a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, he demands that his wise men tell him, what is this dream all about? And Nebuchadnezzar, being the king, he actually tells his wise men, the people who were supposed to be the magicians who could tell the future and all of that, he wants his wise men to tell him not only what the dream means, but he wants, he's not even going to tell him the details of the dream. He's like, I want you to tell me the dream I'm having. If you're really wise men, if you really have this power, you tell me the dream that I'm having, and you tell me what it means. Now, who, who could do that? I mean, none of us could do that, right? And so these wise men were not able to pull it off. And so he sends out, the king sends out his commanders and these captains in order to round up and kill all the wise men of the land because they were failing to do his job. They were dead to him. They were of no use to him. And Daniel, 
he happens to be one of those wise men, and he's in a predicament here because he's about to lose his life. He stops the captain who comes to, to basically round him up as well and kill him. He stops him, and he says, hey, give me some time, and I'll give the king an interpretation for this dream. And so Daniel, he goes and he prays and seeks the Lord, him and some friends, and they, they cry out to God and say, God, would you tell us? What's, would you tell us? You're the God who knows all things. You reveal mysteries, and, and would you just, would you, would you, you know, would you help me out here? And God does. And he goes and tells the dream to the king. And so here's Daniel. If you speed up through um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, and I've just summarized what's gone on up to the, verse 31. Daniel interprets his dream, and he tells it back to the king. So look at what it says in verse 31. You saw, so he appears before the king, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was one of fine gold, and he's describing what it looked like. There's this giant, like, statue. The head of this image was of fine gold, so the top is gold. Its chest and its arms are of silver, its middle and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So there's this powerful image of a person. And he's saying, this is what you're dreaming about, isn't it? It's got these different layers of this statue. Verse 34, and it says this. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke it into pieces, broke them into pieces. All of a sudden, in the dream... This stone comes that is not moved by a human. It's not like someone throws a rock at the statue. All of a sudden, this stone comes. It's not moved by a human. Almost like it breaks off of a mountain, and it comes, and it strikes the lower part of the statue, and it begins to crumble. And then in verse 35, it says, Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, so each layer starts crumbling. They all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The chaff was just unedible portions of, of grain stalks. So he's saying this massive figure just crumbles when this stone comes. And it just crushes it. And then the wind carries the, the pieces away, this dust from the statue. So that not a trace of them could be found. This just destroys this thing, blows it away. But the stone that struck the image, that became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So whatever this stone is, it's it's... It takes over and it, and, it, and it lasts. So in the dream, this statue, it represents the kingdoms of the earth. And in the next few verses, Daniel begins to describe what this is all about. And, and here's a picture that someone, there was a snapshot. Somebody had a camera and snapped a picture of this event. <laughs> no, this is someone, you know, drawing out what he imagines this might look like. And, and Daniel describes this, this figure that, he, that the king is dreaming about. This is, appears as this giant idol, and it represents the idolization of human power and human achievement. And the head of the statue, who's at the top? The king. The head of the statue made of gold, that, he says, that's you. That represents you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You're the head of this thing. You've got this vast empire that stretches, and you're, you're the man. But then below that, you see the kingdoms of bronze would follow, and so he begins to describe the kingdoms that are coming after him. There would be a kingdom of bronze that would follow. That would be inferior to his kingdom. 
then then a fourth king of iron that would shatter the others. Then the feet of the idol were made of a, a mixture of clay. And it represents this, Daniel says, this represents there would be a division in the kingdom, partly strong, partly brittle. Then the idol smashed by this stone. And in contrast to the rest of the materials in the statue, it was cut out. It was not made by human hands. This was from God. So the stone comes, destroys this thing. And Daniel relays this whole point to the king that God's kingdom would someday be set up on the earth. It is greater. God's kingdom is greater than any other earthly kingdom, and it would last for all eternity. And so the dream was really a call to humble himself. Daniel's saying, God is saying, you need to bow before him and humble yourself. Now, those in power should know, any of us that have power, which I would say most of us have some level of leadership and influence, You've not been given, we've not been given that power, achieved that power on our own. It has been given by God. And all power, really, human power will crumble in the end. A lot of the roles that we play are earthly roles. Some of those things will end much sooner than we would want. God was telling Nebuchadnezzar that even though it seems like he's in control of a vast empire, God had given him that empire and God could take it away at a moment's notice. And so look at the response of the king. It actually just pierces through to his heart. He responds in this way in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and he paid homage to Daniel. Now here's the most powerful man bowing down to Daniel, the Hebrew young man. And he commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to Daniel. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And here's the core lesson. Much of what sets the course for the lives of human beings is outside of our control. That's what, that's what Daniel is saying to the king. That's what God is communicating through this man. Much of what sets the course of our lives and the lives of humans is, is outside of our ability to really control things. This includes the century in which you've been born. You didn't control that. You didn't choose to be born when you were you didn't choose the family you were born into and your parents and all of that how many siblings or that that was out of your control you know the environment you were raised in the city your size you didn't get to choose you didn't have a say in that here's what i'm going to look like now we may have wanted to have a say in that and we try to we try to alter a lot but yeah our physical size that's outside of our control your talents your skills most of our circumstances and on and on and on are outside of our control. And God was just telling Nebuchadnezzar and therefore us that all we are and all we've been given to us is really by God. We're completely dependent on him. And life goes better when we acknowledge the reality that God is really in control. Just all of life goes better if we'll acknowledge this, that God is ultimately in control. This is the bottom line truth. And if we settle this issue that God is in control and that all we have is really from him we avoid, we can avoid many of the explosions in life, especially in the area of power. Because we recognize God has arranged all of these things and circumstances, and he's put things in a certain time and a place, and he's put me in a position and a role that I'm to fulfill for a purpose while I'm on earth. And even maybe just for a season of while I'm on earth. I don't need to, to control, I don't need to manipulate others. Now, if I use power selfishly, and if you use your power selfishly, then what we do is we try to move people around like chess pieces. We try to power up on people. We have power trips, we might call it. 
we have a goal for people, and we try to push people to do what we want them to do. What that does is it causes a slow burn. starts burning up the relationship. And as it grows hotter and hotter, eventually they either blow up on us in anger from the way that we burn people, the way that we power up on people, or they distance themselves away and only do the bare minimums in relating to us if we use our power selfishly. These explosions or implosions, they take place if we relate out of order with our authority, with our leadership. If we relate out of order to those under us or that we're responsible for or those who are serving alongside of us, what happens is explosion after explosion. One of the possible explosions is our kids, your kids, my kids. They could be counting the days off on a calendar for when they can get out of our house. Another day done. Just got to wait this thing out. Because maybe they're waiting out. When can they finally be out from under the tyrant of mom or dad, of parent? They have a calendar. Maybe you probably, you know, hopefully they don't have a real one. But but they may be counting the days when they can leave. Or at work, people start avoiding us, steering away from us, only talking to us when absolutely necessary. And that becomes extremely counterproductive for us on the job. We get very little accomplished. Here at church, if we use power selfishly, again, we don't create an atmosphere that motivates people to grow. Instead, we could just repel people if if power is used wrongly. And so trust is the key factor. This is the key factor in building good and long-lasting relationships. And the way that we use power and authority over others will build or undermine our trust. And so there's a question. You see this in your listening guide. There's a crucial question that we need to ask to avoid burning others in the way that we that really I've just described, and it's called the prior question of trust. It's a question you can apply to most areas of your, of your life. This question comes from a book called Christianity Confronts Culture. And the prior question of trust is something you can ask. If you'll ask it and answer it, then you end up, and you do that in the right way, you end up building trust and avoid scorching people with the power that you have. Here's the question. It's, is what I'm doing, thinking, and saying building trust or undermining trust? It's just constantly asking that question about what we're doing, thinking, and saying. Is what I'm about to say, is what I'm stewing on, is this building trust in the home, in the workplace, in the group, or is this undermining trust in this relationship? As a father and as a husband, I have to ask this question. I have to ask it because there have been days where I've been on a power trip and and I just want everyone to get with the program. And I have and I'm tired and I've worked hard and I feel like I've deserved that. And I just want everyone to just give me what I want, whether that's some peace and quiet or some rest. And so if people aren't, you know, getting with the program then and they might start interrupting my plan, then I might just I might just bark orders or threaten. And I've seen the look on people's faces as I crush them and as I undermine their trust. And then I have to go back. It never gets me anywhere when I do that. And then I go and I, I pick up any of my kids that I've done this to. And I could see the hurt on their face. And I have to say, you know, Daddy was really wrong there. But if I had asked the right question about what I was thinking and what I'm really doing, I probably could have avoided that. And... So if we'll consider this area 
and just think about, am I, am I building trust or am I undermining trust in the way that I relate in my environments? And God, God has shown us in the Bible how to do that. There really are two trust-building qualities, love and faithfulness. These, these are things that you find um, as themes that, that run through the Scripture, love and faithfulness. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what they mean. Love, it doesn't mean like the ooey-gooey romantic love that we might think from the movies. Um, but love is its where I do what's right by the other person. That's what love is. It's I do the right thing by you because it's what's, it's what's needed. It's what you need. That's what's loving is when I do that. It's not I don't have to feel like doing what is needed, but it's when I step forward and do the right thing towards the person based on what they need. That's loving. And then faithfulness is where I, I keep that over time. I keep doing what's loving over time, and I'm trustworthy over time. And if, I, if I'll do that, if you'll do that, that keeps answering the prior question of trust, and then trust grows through the years. Love and faithfulness are really the bedrock qualities for all of our relationships. And if you're a leader, this is the area to, to develop, love and faithfulness. Look at these benefits that come out of it. Proverbs 3, verse 3 and 4 just to summarize what it says, it brings favor in the sight of God and of man. Where people might run away actually would cause people to be drawn to you. They, they, they have a favorable desire to be in your life if you're loving towards them, if you're faithful towards them. Proverbs 16.6, 6, this shows us how to rebuild trust when it's been broken, when we've damaged people. Beyond just, beyond just saying sorry when we've hurt others and when we've undermined trust, Love and faithfulness builds a track record where they begin to give you more trust, and, and it can rebuild even damaged trust. All of us have been hurt by people, and so we know how hard it is to give trust back, but there is a way to get it back. It's, it's through love and faithfulness. faithfulness. That's what Proverbs 16, 6 says. Also, Proverbs 20, verse 28, we learn that trust is what preserves our leadership. It solidifies our leadership in the long run. This is how kings rule. Love and faithfulness. If you love people under your leadership, all sorts of things begin to grow and build. Because you're faithful. You can be counted on. There's a trickle-down effect of blessing on the people who you're responsible for. It influences them in the right way to the point to where they want to pull together with you. They want to team with you to accomplish some good things in life. They don't feel like they're chess pieces who are just being manipulated and used so that you win. They see that they're a part of that. and actually grows respect as you lead them forward. Now, Jesus, in the New Testament, he shows us the mindset for how this, for how this really works and looks. He gets really practical and gets down to the specifics in Mark 10. Look at Mark 10, verse 42 through 45. This is the point where Jesus is um, he's talking to his disciples somewhat about what's coming up in the future. And they recognize that they, um, they know the guy who's going to conquer. They're starting to see God, that God is working through Jesus. He's able to do these amazing things. And so they're wanting to know, how do we get to rule in your kingdom? Who's going to get to be in charge? Who's going to be your right hand? Your number two guy, your number three guy. And so they're jockeying for position. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus called them, his disciples, to him. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, that's people in the world, he's saying, you know that those who are considered rulers 
of the Gentiles in the world. They lord it over them. Meaning they lord and they, they push people around through mere position. And their great ones, the greatest rulers, they exercise authority over them. The words for lording it over and authority over them. Really there's a word picture in the original language of a person who's stepping on the necks of the person that they're in charge of. And they're holding down the people through power and through force. And it's, they're using their position in a real harmful way. He said, that's the way the world does it. You know that. But then verse 33, he says, but it shall not be so among you. It needs to look different. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, now he's speaking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's about to go to the cross. He has all the power. He has all the power as God of the universe in the flesh. But he says, I'm about to serve. I've come to serve and to give up my life as a ransom. Now, you can use your power for your own benefit and your own gain, but Jesus lays out a very different way to use power and influence and leadership. And it's that, it's that Jesus' followers use their power to serve. In all the different arenas that you have leadership in, if you'll use your power to serve, that builds trust. It doesn't undermine and cut off and damage people. The disciples, they were arguing, they were asking the wrong questions. You know, which of us can get close enough to the king who's about to set up his kingdom? Jesus says that's the wrong question. It's not just about who's going to be first and have the most power. Jesus just shows them. You know, he answers by showing God's way of handling power and how different it is from the normal way of the world. He says my way is to use it to do good. Use your influence towards good, those that you lead. And he just set the example, and then he wants his followers to follow his example. And so I'd encourage you, in the areas that you're responsible for people, Use your role to serve. Lay your life down for people. Let others go first. In your decisions, do that for the benefit of the family. Do it for the benefit, first for God's kingdom, and then for the family that you um, are, are being asked to lead. To serve like that, we need to settle the issue that King Nebuchadnezzar needed to settle as well. That God is in complete control of all that I have and that and the place that I'm in in life. He, he He's, he's in charge of those things. And if we don't accept our place under God's control, we eventually try to play God in the lives of others, and it doesn't go well. It causes explosions. But what a difference it would make in your family, and in my family, and in our church family, and in our workplaces, if we accepted our place under God and really set out to serve others and influence others the way he would want it to be done. It builds trust. It, it establishes long-lasting relationships with others. Now, you may never have a dream of a statue with your head at the top, like Nebuchadnezzar. But we all have our own version of that dream. And we all have our own version of that image. And it typically does involve us being at the top and everyone else serving us. But what that is is an empty dream. Jesus said that's an empty dream. Daniel said that to Nebuchadnezzar. That's an empty dream. And if we don't give up that dream then God will rock our world. And someone said, you know, that's really the picture of that stone coming in and shattering. That's really true. I would rather handle power in the right way through love and faithfulness. And I know many of you, you share that. You would rather 
handle your responsibilities and your leadership in the right way through love, faithfulness, through serving others, than to just lord your position over people because that's an empty place to live. And it's a lonely place to live. And I want to encourage you to to follow the example that Jesus is asking us to, to follow here, his example of service. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and just wrapping things up here. Um, if you take out that connection card, on the back of, of your connection card, you see, and if you, if you wouldn't mind finish filling that out, in a moment our ushers are going to be receiving um, this morning's tithes and offerings. And so if you wouldn't mind just completing this, dropping this in the basket, here's a few next steps. You find these on the back of your connection card. Memorize Mark 10. This is the verse Jesus talks about. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He goes on talks about being slave of all and his purpose for coming. That's a great verse to commit to memory about power and leadership and influence. Um, second would be bring a difficult relationship to your mind and begin to apply the prior question of trust. Just in, Whether it's damaged or it's heading there, just begin to ask, in this relationship... You know, is what I'm doing, thinking, or saying, building trust or undermining trust? With this person at work, with this person at home, is, is what I'm thinking, doing, and saying, building trust or not? If, if it's not building trust, it's, again, it's, it might be a slow burn. It's quite painful. The last thing is just accept the place that God has given and set out to, to love and serve faithfully. This is something that that king did. He was humbled by God. He had conflicts because any time you have power, this is a, there's a power struggle that goes on internally. And so honestly for us, it's a power struggle all the time. You might yield to the place that God has given you right now, and then next week you're struggling in the same way. Just keep accepting the place God has given you, and be faithful there. Serve from that place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this uh, visual picture of a king who believed he had an impenetrable kingdom only to discover that his days were numbered and his um, future would look quite different. And Lord, for all of us who have roles and leadership and influence, Lord, we may have a plan that it looks very different than yours. And I pray that you would show us specifically where to start in addressing some of the strategies that we're using that are blowing up people, maybe blowing up in our face. Help us to ask this question of trust, Lord, and begin to evaluate and examine those that we lead or the way that we lead those that you've asked us to lead. We thank you for the roles that you've asked us to play. I pray you'd help us to be faithful and loving to the people in our lives. And through you working in our lives, Lord, would you bless the people close to us? We want that for kids and for um, employees and for those that we're connected to, Lord. We want good for them. I pray that you'd help develop that desire in our hearts that we wouldn't just live for ourselves, but that we'd lay our lives down for your eternal purposes and for the people that you died to save. Thank you for this perspective you've given this morning pray your blessing over our offering. We ask you to use it, God, and multiply it. Continue to grow our hearts of generosity. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.